Hey, it's Cambrio from CambrioMusic.com, and today I have a fantastic interview with Eichlers. He's a musician and producer based in Salt Lake City. Thanks for coming by, and let's get started. How's it going today? I'm not too bad. Had a, had a good day. Went on a nice long jog. You've got an album in the works? Yeah, totally. How's that going? It's, it's going great. The album is like mostly complete. I have probably, I think, I think the record's going to be 15 or 16 songs or 15 or 16 tracks. I think I'm going to have three skits and like 13 songs. Trap, ska, that, that kind of thing. And I'm, I'm very excited. I've got some pretty big features that I'm, that I'm um, gonna be presenting on the album. It's very exciting. I couldn't be <laughs> more overjoyed to get it out and share it with people. So when you're starting a song, it's like we almost have unlimited options now. How do you even get started when you wanna make a new track? Yeah, that's, that's something that like I've kind of, <laughs> that's like really come up recently, like with finishing up this second record and kind of just figuring out where I wanna go next. Like, I usually, I'm, I'm like a guitar player first and foremost. So it's really easy for me to start a song with a guitar idea and then just build off of that. And um, so that's, that's mostly what I do. Or if I have, if I have like a kind of vague music melody, I'll like sound it out on guitar and maybe not like record the guitar for it, but like kind of use the guitar to aid in me like playing it on a keyboard or like you know, putting the notes into a, like a MIDI program or whatever. So when did you start writing songs? Like some of your earliest memories of that? So my, the first song I like ever, the first song I, I like started playing guitar when I was in sixth grade and like tried to start writing songs in like sixth or seventh grade. And just writing lyrics was always so hard for me. And I like could, could not for whatever reason put my, thoughts into words that I, you know, if I liked, I liked something after I wrote it, if I woke up the next day and looked at it again, I would hate it. And it took me, it took me a long time to get to that point where if I wrote something one day, looking at it the next day, like I still, I was like, oh, that's still good. That took me probably way longer than it should have. I feel like I was a little bit of a late bloomer in terms of songwriting. I've, I've always been really, really good and really um, confident writing music, but writing lyrics and like songs was always much harder until about um, 2015, I played in this kind of loud indie rock band called Koi based out of San Jose. And I was the primary lyricist and singer for that band. And that was the first time I'd ever done that. And that's when the songwriting things started, like kind of started clicking. Yeah, so Koi, how long did that stick around? That was like probably, <laughs> probably like a little over a year. It was a pretty short-lived band. Me and the other guitarists played in this kind of pop punky, like emo revival-ish band called Kill the Bats from like 2012 to 2014, probably 2012 to 2015. And then we started Koi and Koi lasted for like a year. Now, when did like the, the trap influence start coming into your music, do you think? So I, I like, been thinking about that a lot recently just where where like my because I started making music as Eichlers and it was just acoustic 
and then gradually started introducing more and more electronic influence. Like when I would play shows, like I would, I would write and record music, just me and my acoustic guitar. But when I played, when I would play shows, I'd play electric and I play with a loop pedal and I like would buy cheap drum machines off of reverb and like program like drums into the loop with the guitar parts I was looping and just gradually started like building in that electronic influence. And then in 2018, I, or kind of like right after Lil Peep died, I like heard about that scene and that like emo trap kind of stuff with all, with all those folks and doing that kind of stuff. And in fall of 2018, I got really, really into that. Just started listening to nothing but Juice World and 93 Feet of Smoke and like producers like Fish Nark and Charlie Shuffler and all that kind of stuff. And just, there was, it was such a revelation, like them taking like nostalgic pop punk riffs, like Charlie Shuffler. I don't know if you're familiar with much of his production, but a lot of stuff that he did with Peep and my favorite stuff of his, he did with Drippin' So Pretty. He would just take like Blink-182 riffs. Like there's this one song, it's this one drip song. I can't remember what it's called, but it's just the riff from Adam's song that he like put trap drums and 808s over. And I was just like, this is, so silly but so sick and I was like fuck I could do this like I can play these riffs on guitar if I like can't find a sample or I could like write equivalent riffs and like make my own songs and I was like that sounds really fun I want to try that and then just started doing that and I was like oh I'm pretty good at this and I really like the songs that I'm making from this format I'm gonna keep doing this and here we are now yeah do you think maybe that pop punk or emo influence like 10 years prior is what made that kind of music more personal and like relevant to teenagers today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause there's, and, and especially like, you know, with people like gatekeeping emo and stuff, like all the, all the like r- rappers and like SoundCloud artists who are on that wave, like have a very, like no one, no one like is real emo quote unquote in that scene. Everyone's just like, hot topic or mall emo because that was what was big in the culture like early 2000s when yeah all those folks were kids so yeah I think I think that stuff's a huge influence just because that was the culture at the time and that's what reads as emo and then when that started mixing like with hip-hop and stuff which is you know the modern sound and people are drawing on that nostalgia I feel like that's like a very powerful combination and it just like immediately resonates with anyone who's had that like similar experience of culture when it comes to some of your songs is there a point where you think like okay now this is done i can move on to the next one like do you have any ideas when it's like okay this track is done yes and no like a lot of a lot of the songs on i may be cute but i'm dumb as fuck like i would i would write the instrumentals and then i would like demo or freestyle some lyrics and then just like bounce that demo off of the program that I was using and just listen to it for a few weeks and then go back and tweak it. But I was doing that multiple times with multiple songs. And then eventually when I kind of had like an album's worth of songs or like a a single releases worth of songs, then I'd be like, okay, this is done. But even, even then there's still like some lyrics that I listen to on the record now and be like, Oh, I should have, like now I have an idea for how I could have phrased that line to make it read or sing a little bit better. Like there's, there's one line in the song in the car that I say condensated. Yeah. 
um, which is not a word. And at the time I was like, fuck it. I know it's not a word. Who cares? Like, but now, now, like every time I hear it, it's like, instead of condensated, I could have just said condensation instead of trying to like use a different tense of that word that like doesn't actually exist. So there's, there's definitely still things that like could be in flux, but it, at a certain point it does get to like, okay, is dwelling and editing like this much gonna actually improve the song or am I just doing it to do it? At, at some point I just need to get it out and be like, the song's done whether I fully believe that or not just because I've already put so much work into it. Well, you kind of have to go with your inspiration at the time, right? Totally. Yeah, no, yeah. you just reminded me because it's almost like back in the day before you had lyrics so readily available, I would kind of just try and think, you know, what's this, what are they saying? Am I interpreting it right? And that's kind of a lost art, you know, like we're really trying to figure out what's going on with the song. Totally. And I, I think like, cause I'm obviously a huge music fan and like, I love, I love ambiguous lyrics or lyrics that like are multifaceted. Like a lot of, a lot of the stuff that I write is, I like to think more than just surface level. Like I leave like little references and little like turns of phrases that I think are maybe funny or silly or allude to something that I'm passionate about. And I am a full geek when people do that in their songs, and especially if it's like a good catchy song that I like, if I find out there's more to the lyrics than I initially thought on the first five or six listens, like I, it, I instantly like the song more. Cause like, oh shit, the way that they turn this phrase is so much cooler and so much deeper and, than I initially thought. Yeah, I was listening to Text Me Tomorrow and I just love the, the upbeat kind of fun nature to it. But like you said, there's some lyrics and themes in there that are pretty introspective and, uh, and interesting that way. Totally, yeah. So what was the process of that song? Did it just come from some personal experiences? Yeah, that was, um, so it's, <laughs> it's funny that like, I released it, you know, during the pandemic when everyone's, you know, staying inside and socially apart from each other because that was, I wrote that song probably six months before like COVID hit in the US. And I was just like experiencing a lot of just wanting to be a homebody, even though at the time there were all kinds of shows that I was going to and playing all the time. And I had so many friends, but I just found myself not wanting to go out and see them or do anything. I'd just like get home from work and be like, I just, I just want to be home. And I just like, I felt like bad and sad about this. Like, why do I not want to be with my, with my friends and the people I love? Why would I rather just like sit at home alone? And then that would, that would make me even more sad. Like, <laughs> just be like, why, why don't I want to go have fun? Like, <laughs> how do you know but, Aaron Carnes? I know, I know Aaron from, I've known Aaron since like 2009. Okay. We met, we met in the, we met through the San Jose punk scene. My high school band would play with Narboots pretty often. We were up in Walnut Creek, which is about an hour away from San Jose, where Aaron and Adam were living. And well, I guess Adam's been in Alameda the whole time. Um, no, I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, and Aaron and I just met through playing shows and just playing at Gilman and playing some of the venues down in San Jose all the time. And they would come play like our 
like one venue up here in Walnut Creek from time. I think, I think they played a show at the venue here. I can't remember. They definitely played like my high school friend's backyard here with my high school band. And then we just like stayed in touch over Facebook ever since. And now, and now that I'm like getting back into ska, I, you know, interact with Aaron far more now in like the past six months than I have in the last six or seven years. Yeah, because I was kind of reliving some of my old ska memories as well. And then I came across his book and it just blew me away. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait to read it. I like just moved and didn't, didn't want to pre-order it before I moved because I was, you know, had to put in my address and would go to the wrong address. But now I got to, I got to get on the pre-order. I've heard it's really good. And I've, I've been listening to podcasts. I just finished the episode that they did with Barry from Joyce Manor, like an hour before this call started. And I'm, I'm all in on the Aaron Carnes uh, ska stream right now. Big fan. So what are some of the favorite concerts you went to or some of your earliest experiences? Just like in general? Yeah, like the ones that really stick out to you. So like in, re- in regards to ska, there was, there was this band from my high school called Playground Authority. Okay. Which is, I think, a very good ska punk band name. Even now, I'm just like, that's, that's pretty good for like a third wave, like wannabe real big fish band. Um, they, played, they played a show with this band called A Class Act and a couple other local ska bands down at this venue in Walnut Creek called Red House. And I remember that was the first time I'd ever seen a local band too, because I like had been into punk for maybe a couple years at the time, but hadn't been to like a local show yet. And that was the first local show I went to. And it was, it was a ska show. And I remember the keyboardist from, it might've been a class act. It might've been one of the other bands wearing a skank and pickle shirt. And I was like, what the fuck is skank and pickle? Yeah. What does that mean? That's so weird. And then like, you know, I'd eventually meet Mike and become a huge skank and pickle fan. Um, so that was, that was like a big, a big indicator or like, a you know, it made a big impression on me, especially now with like how much I think about and listen to and like make ska music, like thinking about that. That was my first experience of local music was a ska show. I feel like that makes sense. That's on brand. <laughs> For sure. Um, and, um, Another like really formative show, I saw this band uh, Matsudi at this bowling alley in Cupertino, and that was the first time I'd ever seen a screamo band. Okay. And just that that intensity. They it was five of them. They all played with their backs to the audience, facing the drummer, and it was just fucking magnetic. That was so cool, and I'd never experienced anything that powerful and that like intimate of a setting, and that that energy is something that I am still chasing and chased with every band I played in and every music, every like live experience I've, you know, had or tried to make happen with any of my bands or shows. Well, what were they called again? Matsudi. Okay. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yo, I'll have to look that up. Yeah. How how is it spelled? M-A-T-S-U-R-I. I can send you like a, a, Bandcamp link to their their record. It's very fucking sick. For sure. Um, I don't know if you remember the band called Crystal Castles. 
Heard the name. Don't think I ever listened. So they were from around here. I'm up in the uh, Toronto area. Yeah, they played like a, around 2007 or 8. They were starting out kind of like chiptune music. And um, like you were saying, one of their club shows was just one of the craziest things I'd seen up until that point. Yeah, like, wait, were, they were a chiptune band? Like... Yeah, the, it was this female singer who was almost like, like a screamo type of thing. But then the music itself was very electronic. Oh, interesting. And the weirdest memory I have of that night is that this was 2007 and the Spice Girls reunion tour was happening. Whoa. <laughs> and, and this was the same night. What the fuck? Yeah. And then it, it ended so late that I couldn't get home and people were like, why did the Spice Girls show end so late? I'm like, I wasn't at that one. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just assumed you were at the Spice Girls show? Yeah. That's so sick. How about uh, Brockhampton? What do you like about their style? I, fuck, dude, I don't. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, that was just everything. <laughs> I just, they, that, that group just continually inspires me. I've listened to so much of their music so many times, and just every time I fall more in love with it. Like, just the way, the way they write their rhythms, like vocal, their, their like vocal cadences and rhythms are so neat and so fun and obviously the music is intricate and great and the way they flip their samples and like craft their songs is super inspiring and they they know how to write a fucking hook that's i take a huge amount of inspiration from like the way kevin like writes his hooks and just because he'll he'll write these like little like short concise hooks on like a lot of the early stuff like saturation one and two just super like short one or two lines, very repetitive. And I just found that so captivating and it never, it never got annoying. So that like was kind of a, a jumping off point for me. I was like, wow, I find this like just so, so captivating and enthralling. Like I want to, I want to try something like that. That's why, that's why like, you know, in songs, in songs like Wow Rude, the, the chorus is just like, two lines just repeated over and over again. And that, that is like directly inspired by Brockhampton. Yeah, what, something that really grabs me about them is that I guess you could kind of call them mainstream, but a lot of people still haven't heard about them in, in that way. Totally, yeah. I think, I think that's, yeah, because every time I go on their Spotify page, it's like 10 million monthly listeners. But there's, you know, if I, if I ask my parents like what they think about Brockhampton, they're like, who? So I, I think that's just, Something I've been thinking about a lot lately is just like monoculture and how that kind of doesn't exist. Yeah. In the same capacity as it did, you know, in the 2000s and 90s. So, you know, bands that have millions and millions of monthly listeners worldwide, like, you know, your coworker probably won't know them just because everyone is so plugged into their own little subset of culture. And like, that's, that's very cool. But at the same time, it's completely different from you know, how it historically has been, you know, the way that we grew up. How about the 1975? Same thing. I was just about to bring them up. Like when, when I got into them, I was like, this is like a gigantic British pop band. And I just remember like asking my coworkers and my friends, like, yo, y'all listen to 1975. And they're like, who? And I was like, what do you mean who? This band is like 
gigantic teenage girl heartthrob band. You've never heard of them? They seem like on par with the Spice Girls, for example, like that kind of big. But yeah, that's that shit's wild. They're they're like a big electronic influence on me. I don't know if you how familiar you are with them, but they're the bonus tracks version of their first record has so many like super cool gothy like almost shoegazy electronic elements to it and i was just blown away when i heard that the first time how about some other independent artists that you you want to shout out or let more people know about oh man um nail polish okay first and foremost uh gregory and diana who run solidarity club records who helped me put out my cassette they have like a little emo trap like alt electronic poppy project called nail polish that i've i've done a song i featured on a song with them that i produced too and they're just the nicest people and some of the most inspiring musicians i've ever met so i want to give them a big fat shout out i i don't know where i'd be right now if it wasn't for them and making friends with them you know over the past year do you think it's important to add activism into if you really feel important about it to include that in your music I think, I think the activist angle is more important in your actual actions rather than the, the content of your songs. I think, I think it's more important to do something rather than sing about something. How do you think TikTok has changed things for music? I, I think TikTok is the driving force for music discovery these days, for better, for worse. I, I think it's really cool. I haven't been spending a lot of time on TikTok lately just because I feel like my whole feed is just people pushing, like pushing their songs and I've gotten really tired of that. But I, you know, I, TikTok has really helped me like build a little bit of a fan, fan base, especially during the pandemic. And I think, I think with, with the way that TikTok's reach is compared to other social platforms, it's almost the equivalent of like, doing a tour if you make like a really good piece of content with your music and it gets pushed out to you know different people all across the world like you could make fans in the same way that you would if you like if if I went up to Toronto and played a show you know I'll have to I'll have to get you down for a, a gig at some time and whenever you know things uh things open up that would be incredible I've never been to Canada but always wanted to go <laughs> How about any like concert films or documentaries? You have any favorites? I really, I just, I just finished the Young Lean documentary the other day. Cody from Honey TV put me onto that. I'm not a huge fan of Young Lean's music. I really like, you know, Blade and Echo 2K and like artists he's worked with, but that was a really interesting look at, you know, just this 15 year old kid who blew up out of fucking nowhere and just had all this fame all of a sudden um that was really cool i really liked the daniel johnston documentary i can't remember what it was called i watched that over and over again when i moved to salt lake and kind of the same thing i'd never really been a fan of his music but for some reason just the documentary was so fascinating and his story is insane um and in high school i watched american hardcore over and over and over again (laughs) Right. How about, do you see, do you know the band Danielson at all? No. 
So Danielson were kind of a, a family band and they were um, kind of put out as like a Christian family band, but then they got all these like non-Christian fans just because the songs were so good. And there's like right. a, a documentary about them you might want to check out. Is it spelled Danielson like the last, like a last name? Yeah, so it's Danielson, a family movie from 2006. Interesting. I'm, I'm going to write it down right now. Another one that I just found was, um, I think it was called New York 1977. Oh. And it just goes through how like, it was like a crazy year slash summer and like all the things that were happening in music in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's like punk and hip hop and disco and everyone, well, I guess disco was already kind of going by then, but yeah, it was right. also like a, a blackout. They had a blackout uh, that year and, uh, Oh, that's right. I think the, what's his name? Son of Sam murders were occurring. Yeah. So that's a pretty crazy one. Wild. Okay, that sounds, that sounds rad too. That was my interview with Eichlers, a musician and producer based in Salt Lake City. I've been Cambrio for CambrioMusic.com. Thanks so much for coming by.